If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, verse 18. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. As you know, um, this passage that we are in has been talking about the aftermath of the um, healing of the lame man. And you would think, or you would hope, that uh, when something like this happens, when a lame man is healed, that everyone would rejoice and be glad. But that's not what happened. And so today we're going to uh, look at how the disciples responded to persecution. If you remember, when Jesus was on the earth, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. And he also said, Happy are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now that is totally anti what we would think of as being a happy occasion. But that is what Jesus said. And what does that convey to us? It conveys to us the inevitability of suffering persecution. It's not an if, or it's not a, yeah, it's not an if, it's a when. And um, so I think it's important for us to be exercised in understanding how to properly respond to persecution. So today I want to talk to you about the disciples' response to persecution. So if you're taking notes, you could jot that down as a title. Now there are, there are three things that I want to look at today that happened um, to the disciples as they made this choice. First of all, Point one is they pledged to obey God rather than men. Point two is they rejoiced to suffer. And point three is suffering brought them together. If you have ever read The Voice of the Martyrs, you will find that to be true, that when suffering happens to a country, when the Bible is outlawed, see the people that outlaw the Bible or outlaw speaking in Christ's name, they believe that by doing so, they will divide the church and that it will die. But see, they've been trying to do that for hundreds of years, and the church has persevered. Why is that? Because Jesus said, on this rock, which is the declaration of him as the Son of God, not Peter, I, I believe that wholeheartedly, but on the rock of the declaration that Jesus is the Son of God, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It doesn't say may not, it says will not. And so we can rest no matter what we are going through, that if we are one of his, that we are part of the church upon whom the gates of hell will never prevail. Isn't that amazing? So, um, the first point that I want to talk about this morning is that the disciples pledged to obey God rather than men. Let's look at Acts 4, 18-23, if you will. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. 
But Peter and John answered and said, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they could punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. I want you to notice a couple of things here. First of all, we see that they didn't want this story to spread any further among the people. Does this at all sound familiar to you? Remember what happened when the guards were at the tomb and Jesus burst forth from the tomb and the guards were as dead men. The guards didn't say, we think someone stole the body. The guards said, something miraculous happened and the body isn't there. And so what did the religious leaders say? They gave them money. They said, say the disciples stole the body. And so it has been reported unto this day. And I'm sure if you go, I, I, I would venture to guess that if you go to certain parts of Israel, that that is still reported because there's a large number of Jews who sadly have not accepted Jesus as their Messiah, who believe that he was just a teacher who died and stayed dead. But we know the truth. We know that he, in fact, rose from the dead. And we know that no matter how many times they told the disciples to quit talking about it, they couldn't. Why is that? Because when you go through a life change, such as an encounter with Jesus Christ, you can't stay silent. I'll never forget a couple... Well, this has probably been five or six years ago now. My cousin who lives in Texas, sent me a message and it said simply this, stop sending me Christian garbage. Now, I hadn't talked to her directly that often. I don't think I'd even sent her directly that much stuff. But see, the thing about me is, by God's grace, that when you interact with me, you hear about Jesus. Because Jesus is the most important person and the most important thing in my entire life. He changed my life from the inside out, and there's no way that I can't talk about it. I once heard a preacher, I think it might have been Alistair Begg, he said, if you can do anything else with your life, don't preach. But if you can't do anything but preach, then you know that you're called to do it. And I believe that's true in my life. So we, what we see here, that they told them uh, not to speak in this name because they didn't want it to spread. So they said, don't talk about Jesus. Don't teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you 
more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing they could do to punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing was showed. A couple more things. First of all, the fact of the matter is that remember what Jesus also said to the disciples. He said, don't think about what you will say. I don't think that Peter and John rehearsed this in jail. That this is how we're going to answer the matter. Because Jesus said, don't worry about what you'll say. Because in the very hour that you need it, the words that I want you to say will be there. And Peter and John had yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. And so they were speaking as his mouthpiece. And they said, we cannot help but to speak of the things we have seen or heard. Your personal testimony is far more effective to people than just spouting off theological truths or arguing about predestination or election. The fact of the matter is that the most important thing that we have to share today is that the power of Jesus Christ changes individuals and brings them to, from death to life. And then we see in verse 22... For the man was about 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing was showed. In the beginning of chapter 4, we see that he was laid at the gate beautiful and he was lame from birth. Those two words are very important because they did not give any room for people to believe that Peter and John hired this guy to pretend to be a lame man and then they could take credit for healing him which, of course, they didn't take credit for because they said, if you must know why he was healed, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. <clears throat> and keep in mind, this shows the redemptive power of God in Peter's life, too, because remember, just a few weeks before, he had run when Jesus needed him most. But the Holy Spirit of God changed Peter and made him a bold witness for Christ. So they couldn't say that the miracle didn't occur, so they just said, don't talk in the name of Jesus. And then it says that they... Um, it says that in being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had sent unto them. So they went back to their fellow disciples, to the other followers of Jesus who numbered about 5,000 by this point, or 5,000 had been added to the church recently. So there was several people. But they went back to, their, to Jesus' followers and they said, this is what happened to us. And I'm sure part of that was saying God gave us the answer that we needed to, to respond to these people. And, you know, they couldn't deny the miracle, but they wanted to stop the message. But that's where miracles are so great because 
Miracles show that the message cannot be stopped. Jesus cared about the physical needs of those around him. Truly, he did. But the significance of his miracles was most importantly to show forth the spiritual truth. And we can all be thankful for that. Uh, if we can look by way of cross reference at Luke 24, 46 to 48, if one of you gentlemen gets there and would like to read that for us, that would be great. Luke 24, 46 to 48. And, it, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it, and thus it beloved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and, repentance, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name, uh, among all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, to carry the city of Jerusalem, and ye be in you with the power from on high. So what are they doing here? They are following the initiative, the imperative of their master, that this needs to be preached, and it needs to go to everyone. And they are doing just that. Weak need principles always awaken contempt. Harold Schepler, a young man of whom the Sunday School Times tells, was in the signal service. Being ordered one morning by a sergeant, sergeant to report for duty at the canteen, he refused to do so, and the sergeant threatened to report him to the officer of the day. All right, said Shepler, go ahead. I did not enlist to be a bartender, but a soldier. I will not report at the canteen. He was duly reported to the major who sent for him. Shepler went with trembling knees, but with a steady heart, for he knew he was right. The officer said unto them, Are you the young man who disobeyed orders this morning? Yes, sir, I am. Why did you do it? Simply because I do not believe it is right to do what I was asked to do. I enlisted to be a soldier, not a bartender. The major arose quickly from his stool and, extending his hand, said, Shepler, you are the kind of man... You are the kind of man we want. I am glad to see a fellow who has the courage of his convictions. You are not obligated to report to the canteen. The great need of the day is for men to have convictions founded upon the word of God and then to be true to those convictions. The church is, um, if we, we, we use the broad term of church, the church is hemorrhaging from lack of these men. We have so many churches and denominations who are surrendering the truth of the word of God in the name of love. It's not love to tell someone that they're okay when the Bible says they're not okay. If your house is on fire, do you want me to let you stay in your house on fire or do you want me to tell you that your house is on fire? so that you can do something about it. So many people are in houses on fire today, and they're being told by people who claim to be speaking for God that they're okay. Nothing grieves my heart more than that. The second point today, if you're taking notes, is they rejoiced 
to suffer. I think this is one of the most miraculous things that happens here, is you would think they'd be despondent. You'd think they'd be cowering. And maybe there have been times when you've been tempted, I know I've been tempted, to cower in the face of people not appreciating your message or um, just try to, you know, not have the courage of your convictions like we just read about. But verse 24 of Acts on to 31 says, And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art, that thou art God who hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the peoples imagine the vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel had determined before. To be done. And now, O Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke the word of God with boldness. If you pray according to the will of God, he answers that prayer. The problem, I think, with a lot of our prayers is we, is we pray according to our will and then we expect God's will to line up with it. A lot of times people say, well, God doesn't want you to suffer. Well, many people have told me that God wants to heal me. Look, I know that God can heal me. I know that he will heal me someday. I know that he can heal me here on earth. But I also know that he has given me a platform that involves this wheelchair. And until he decides that it's in the way of my platform, he will keep me here. I honestly can tell you that I don't think I would be as close to God today if I wasn't in this wheelchair. Because I'm a pretty self-centered person. And every time I get up, I think I'm doing pretty well. God uses things in my life to pull me back and tell me that he's got this, not me. Remember, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in infirmities, that why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. So suffering is not something to be repelled. Suffering is not something to necessarily be healed from, although God gets glory when people are healed. It is something to glory in, knowing that God's power will rest on you and he will do his will through you. Okay, so you'd think that they would be like, let's add a couple more um, you know, wood blocks to the doors, let's barricade ourselves in, let's hide from the world 
But their first action is to thank God for who he is. He's the creator of the world. They said, God, you're the creator of the world. Thank you for doing that. And then they said, this is no surprise to you. You knew that the people would imagine a vain thing. You knew the kings of the earth would be gathered against you. And both Herod and Pontius Pilate. But it's interesting in verse 28. Verse 28 is one of the most powerful verses in this passage. It says, For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. What does the proverb say? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it whithersoever he will. He allowed Pilate to hand Jesus over to be crucified, even though he said, I find no fault in this man. Why is that? Because it was the divine plan and foreknowledge of Almighty God for Jesus to suffer. And then they say, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. You know, Paul would later say the same thing, that with all boldness I would glorify God in my body. And he's saying this from a Roman prison, writing to the Philippian church. He's chained between two guards, most likely. And he's still saying, pray that I have boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you read the, um, uh, the voice of the martyrs, that's often their prayer request. Not that the persecution would end, but that they would have more boldness to share Christ. You know, all of those persecuted Christians have one thing in common, and that is that they did not keep their mouth shut. When God called them to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, they did so without apology. And as a result, many of them have lost their lives. Because the name of Jesus is hated. Now, he didn't mention Jesus, but there was an interesting event that kind of coincides with this. And that is, um, I watched the game show Jeopardy. Me too. And Alex Trebek is suffering from stage four pancreatic cancer. The The last report that he gave was that his tumors have shrunk at least 50%. And he told his doctors, and he said this in an interview, that I know it's not just the chemo. I know that I have... Two and a half million people praying for me. And there's power in prayer. But what's striking about this is that he said that in one interview and he told another interviewer later that they cut it out of their article when they talked about it. Because people don't want to hear about the power of prayer. All they want to hear is about the power of modern medicine. Now I have no idea whether Alex Trebek is a believer, and I don't necessarily think he is, but how wonderful would it be if this cancer journey leads him to faith in Jesus Christ? That would be amazing. 
And that's just the way that our God works. All right. Can we look at, by way of cross-reference, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. This is what these followers of Jesus are doing here. They're giving thanks for persecution. No doubt that Peter and John were remembering the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, he spoke to, he, the multitudes were gathered around, but it says in the first verse of the Sermon on the Mount that seeing the multitudes, he sat down and he opened his mouth and taught his disciples, saying, so this sermon was specifically for the disciples to learn the proper way to live. And no doubt Peter and John were remembering that verse about rejoicing and suffering. Vance Havner writes, A persecuted church has a repelling power as well as an attracting power. The great awakenings of the past have not begun by the gathering of the many, but by the deeper consecration of the few. I'd rather be in a group like this with a few fellow believers than in a megachurch of five or 6,000 people whose sole reason for being there is because their preacher tells them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. Joel Alstein has said on a repeated basis, I don't like to talk about sin. Well, the only way to have an abundant life in Christ is to deal with your sin. The Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God, but that we are justified freely by his grace and have redemption through his blood. That is where the power comes. All right, so our third point is suffering brought them together. Suffering unifies. Remember we talked about how suffering can bring you closer or it can tear you apart. I've witnessed in my parents relationship how suffering has brought them together. I was I was born early. A great shock to a young couple who was just starting out. They very well could have pulled away and I know that that having a disabled child raises the divorce your chances of divorce to like 80% or by like 80%. Because it's a trial. It's not easy. My parents have gone through a lot to give me what I have. Then in 1992, I witnessed them be rocked again by the death of my brother John. 
And again, something that could have torn them apart, could have drawn them away from each other. Instead, they allowed their threefold cord to be tied tighter. Because even in that rough time, even in that dark time, that awful time, God never let go of us. He was our keeper. He was our sustainer. And even though that was the most awful day of my life, it was the turning point in my life to know that God is in control, that God made me the way he did, that he didn't make any mistakes when he put me here in this wheelchair. That he knew exactly what he was going to do with me and through me. And I'm thankful So as we read this passage, Acts 4, 4, 32 to 36, we read, And the multitude of them that believed was of one, court, one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according to as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the county of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money to the apostles. So the, the followers of Jesus realized something. They realized that the world was against them. And they realized that if they were going to survive, they needed each other. Paul knew we needed each other. That's why he called us the body of Christ. We can't say to a fellow believer, I have no need of you, because God put them in our lives for a reason. And it's been my experience that if you, that if you flee a situation to get away from a hard person, God will send more hard people into your path because his goal is what? To conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And if anybody knows about dealing with hard people, it was him. Nobody that Jesus dealt with was perfect like he was. Nobody that dealt with Jesus had, had 100% pure motives for dealing with him. And nobody that dealt with Jesus loved him with 100% unconditional love the way he loved them back. It's not possible for a human to do that. You know, when you look at how they sold everything and had all things in common, it could be tempting to say, well, this is an argument for socialism. But you know what? The difference here is that the reason they did it was because of the love that they had for Jesus Christ. 
it kind of reminds me about how um, we, we have a democracy in our country. Um, and our democracy is based on the responsibility of individuals to do the right thing. And if we don't have a moral standard, if you go to a land without a moral standard and you try to install a democracy, it doesn't work because democracy requires personal responsibility. So these, these followers of Jesus were compelled not by government, not by obligation, but by a heart that was sold out to Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, we'll study next time a couple that did things the wrong way, that had the wrong motives, and the disastrous results that came from that. And I love this, that every man, according to as he has need, was provided for. My friends, that is the job of the church, to provide for every man in their congregation as they have need. I appreciate so much all, all the needs that Holland Gospel Chapel has helped me with and the needs that you help other people with when you send money to missionaries. There are so many other churches that are like, well, we need to get our new gymnasium or our new multi-purpose center or our new uh, young adult ministry going. And so we need to invest this huge budget line item in these things. But what did James say true religion and undefiled was? He said to visit the orphans and the widows and to care for them and to remain unspotted from the world. That is the church's directive. And that's a huge burden on my heart that we would be a church that would do that. That we would care for the widows. Encouraging younger ones to remarry and truly caring for those who are widows indeed, as Paul talks about. It's so important. Jesus said, the, the, the world will know you are my followers by the love that you have, primarily for one another. Yes, we are to love others, but we are primarily to love one another with the love that God gave us. So that when the world looks in from the outside, they say, I want that. If we're always griping and complaining at one another, what is there for the world to want? It's convicting. It really is. If we can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 to 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 14. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, do you realize that there are millions of believers around the globe who are our brothers and sisters because why? Because they name the name of Jesus Christ, because they've been bought by the same blood, because they serve the same Lord and Master as we do. 
I remember growing up in the Baptist church, and one of the things I most hated about it was the fact that when people would leave that church, whatever church it was, for whatever reason, other people felt like they couldn't associate with them anymore. And I, I can say by experience that I haven't experienced that in the assembly. That I've experienced that um, there is true love between the brothers and sisters regardless of where you worship. And that's one of the reasons why after being away from the assemblies for a while I wanted to come back. Because I never lost contact with the people that I knew within this body of believers. And it made a world of difference in my life. So it's very important that we maintain unity. Our unity is not based on what church building we attend in, but on who we serve. And if that is the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are my brother or my sister. For the rest of your life, whether you like it or not, or whether I like it or not. So, and one day we're going to spend eternity together. So if we can't get it figured out uh, down here, we might be in for a long eternity. But fortunately, when we do get to eternity, we will be perfect. The Bible says we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Paul said, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. I just want to share this final story, and then we'll close. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard which, which each one must individually bow. So 100 worships, worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. A.W. Tozer. I think we need to remember that Jesus is the tuning fork for the church of God. And if we put Jesus first, we will be unified in ways we never even imagined. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for um, these principles that you've taught us. We thank you for the disciples and how they learned and grew from persecution instead of shying away from it. And Lord, we pray that as our society becomes darker, that we would pray for more, more boldness and that we would exercise more boldness in sharing the truth of God. Lord, I thank you for the saints here at Holland Gospel Chapel. Thank you for the blessing that they've been to me, and I pray that they would continue to bless others as they go their way this week. I pray that you would make your face shine upon them, and I pray that you would give them peace. In Jesus' name.